0: You know what's been pretty easy this year? Beating the Blue Jays. And the Orioles did it again on Monday night with some heroics in the bottom of the ninth inning. We'll recap that all, plus talk trade deadline. It's today. That's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles. Your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, August 1st, 2023. And welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we are going to recap another Orioles win over the Blue Jays as they beat Toronto 4 2 on Monday night in game one of a four game set. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that one, including Kyle Gibson's great start, Yeti Erkano struggling again, and Austin Hayes playing hero defensively in the ninth inning. Then we'll talk a little bit about Ryan Mountcastle, who has been heating up since he got back from that bout with Vertigo, and he continues to just crush the Blue Jays throughout his career. And finally, a little update on the trade deadline. Orioles haven't made another move yet, as other pitchers have gone off the board. Who is left for the Orioles to pick up? We'll get to all that coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So, we start with an Orioles win today. Final score from the Rogers Center in Toronto on Monday night. Orioles 4 and Blue Jays 2 in the first game of a four-game series. The Orioles, with the win in this one on Monday night, continue to lead the AL East. They stretch their lead over the Jays, who sit in third place to six and a half games. Orioles, with the win, get to 65-41 and on the season, but... The Rays did beat the Yankees 5-1 on Monday night, which means the Rays stayed just a game and a half back in second place. But I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 4-2 win over Toronto. And the first thing you need to know is Ryan Mountcastle just keeps mashing the Blue Jays. He's in the lineup once again, DHing, batting fifth. And there he goes against that old Toronto team. Two for three with two doubles, a sack fly, and three RBIs for Ryan Mountcastle. We'll get to it a little bit later about how good he's been since he's come back and how good he's been against the Blue Jays in his career. But this man has a type, and that type is the Blue Jays, and he mashes the Blue Jays. And it is funnier and funnier to watch every single time. Second thing you need to know from this one is that Kyle Gibson was really good again for the Orioles. Six-plus innings for Gibson, who did come out there in the seventh, but then he had about a seven-pitch walk to start the seventh inning and was pulled from the game at 97 pitches. But otherwise, very good. Six innings, one run on four hits with five strikeouts, two walks and no homers and just four hard hit balls by the Blue Jays offense against Gibson in his six innings of work. He was really, really good in this one. Twelve whiffs on the game and he was just mixing everything. Now, interestingly enough, it was way more fastballs than we've seen recently from Gibson Number one pitch was the sinker. Number two was the cutter. And number three was the four-seamer on the day. Now, the changeup was really good. The sweeper, he didn't quite have the command that he's had recently of that pitch. So he kind of wasn't able to use it. But that sinker was the best I've seen it all year from Kyle Gibson. It was essentially, you know, 90 to 92, 93. And he would just backdoor it to every single righty he faced at scene. Would throw the pitch just off the outside corner. Boom would dart it right back to the corner for a strike. It was fun to watch all night. That's the Kyle Gibson the Orioles need. I've said it time and time again. He continues to come through for this Orioles team. He's not the sexiest starter. He's not the best starter, but he is getting the job done. That is three consecutive quality starts for Kyle Gibson. He's got four of them in the month of July, and he finishes July 36 and a third innings pitched. In six starts and a 4.21 ERA, 34 strikeouts to just 11 walks. I will take that every time from Kyle Gibson, and in every single one of those games, he kept the Orioles in the ballgame when he went out there. That is all you can ask from Kyle Gibson, and he is eating innings, and he is doing just that. Third thing you need to know from this one is that Gunnar Henderson hit another home run. It was his 17th of the year. He crushed one over the wall in right field in the third inning to give the Orioles a 3-0 lead. Came off of the Blue Jays starter Chris Bassett, who allowed four runs over six innings of work. But this home run was particularly impressive from Gunnar Henderson because the pitch was not even a strike that Henderson hit. He hit a ball, a slider at 87, that was bearing in on his hands, and he just turned on it. 101 miles per hour off the bat, 387 feet over the right field wall to give the Orioles a 3-0 lead. Just another impressive, impressive showing with the bat from Gunnar Henderson, who went one for three with that homer, also a walk and a strikeout in this game. He does some cool things as a rookie for the Orioles and played a great defensive game. Made some really nice plays at third base in this one as well. Fourth thing you need to know from the Orioles' 4-2 win over the Blue Jays on Monday night is that Yenye Cano once again did not look so good for the Orioles. Now, it was once again his third game in four days because they don't have a lot of other guys to rely on and they continue to have to rely on Cano. And it was shaky again. And that was after, remember, he closed out the Sunday night win against the Yankees by striking out the side. Looked the best he had in weeks. That all went away on Monday night. Cano entered the game with the Orioles leading 4-1 in the bottom of the eighth, got a clean inning, and did not do well. Cement mixer slider to the first batter, Whit Merrifield, who homered to make it 4-2. to Then he got himself a ground out before a couple of walks, and all of a sudden, it was two on and one out, and that was it for Cano. 18 pitches, the only hard-hit ball was that home run, but... He was just not near the strike zone. And here's the one thing that Cano hasn't really been doing. Like, he's, he's been struggling recently, right? Like, there is no way around that. He has not been anything close to the pitcher he was the first six weeks of the season and the pitcher that got him a nod to the All-Star game this year. Now, he's still been usable, just maybe not in high-leverage spots. But the one thing you've been able to say lately, even as Cano has struggled, is that he still hasn't really walked guys. Like, he's giving up more hard contact. He's getting less ground balls, getting less whiffs, getting less strikeouts. Those are all concerning things, but he wasn't really walking guys, which you know tells me that he was still solid. He had only walked one guy in eleven and two thirds innings in the month of July. Well, he walked two batters and recorded only one out on Monday night. That is not a good sign for Cano who had completely fixed that command issue that he had earlier in his career, and it still stayed with him even even as he struggled. But if he combines the harder hit balls with some walks now, that is really going to take him out of any chance to be a late inning guy for this Orioles team. And they need him. Really, they need him to be a late inning guy at this point because – especially if they're not going to add much more at the deadline. There is not a lot of better options right now. He ends up with a 4-plus ERA in the month of July, does Cano. Starting to get a little concerned about him, really concerned about him out there. But the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that Felix Bautista and Austin Hayes came in to save the day. Now, just know this. Cano is not going to be available tonight on Tuesday night, pitching three out of four days. And Felix Bautista certainly is not going to be available after throwing 35 pitches to get the save on Monday night. But he did what he had to do to get that save. Comes in with runners on first and second and one out in the eighth of a 4-2 game after the mess Cano had made. And Bautista just bears down. Strikes out Chapman, gets Varsho to fly out to end the eighth. Then walks Kirk to lead off the ninth. Strikes out Jansen. Then walks Kiermaier. And then the play of the day. Whit Merrifield lines a ball into the left center field gap. At the very least, it was going to be an RBI single. And it could have maybe gotten by into the gap for a two-run double that tied the game. But Hayes lays out to make a spectacular play for the second out to save a run. And then Felix just calms it back down, strikes out Santiago Espinal to end the game and pick up a huge Game 1 win in the series for the Orioles, who are now... 6-1 and one against the Blue Jays this year and have taken the first of a huge four-game set. But the big reason, I would say, why the Orioles won this game, all of their offense, three of their four RBIs, came from Ryan Mountcastle, who is starting to swing it better and just continued to dominate the Blue Jays as he's done his whole career. So coming up next, we'll talk about how Mountcastle has looked different since returning And just how good he's been against Toronto in his time in an Oriole uniform. But first, this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast is brought to you by Game Time. I've talked about Game Time a bunch here on this podcast. And that is because it is truly the app I now use to buy tickets to Orioles games. Because listen, I live close to the stadium, right? It doesn't take a lot of planning for me to get to a game, but you still got to get a ticket. And they're harder and harder to get now. The O's had their best attendance in a three-game series this weekend against the Yankees since 2016. It's a tougher ticket now. But Game Time always has those last-minute deals for you. They've got flash deals for all the games, all the music, all the comedy and theater near you, and especially the Baltimore Orioles. Killer deals on last-minute tickets and the best price Guarantee, And the app is super easy to use. I log on. The Orioles are right there. They give me an image of the seat view and that low price guarantee, event cancellation protection. They've got it all going on on the app. And these exclusive flash deals, you get tickets right away. And the game time guarantee means you always get the best price. And the tickets sent directly to your phone in just seconds. You can buy them while you're standing on Utah Street. So snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the GameTime app, create an account and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So the Orioles take down the Blue Jays 4 to 2 on Monday night in game 1 of a four-game series. And one of the big players in this game for the Orioles was Ryan Mountcastle, who, as usual, tormented the Toronto Blue Jays. Mountcastle in this game, two for three with two doubles, a sack fly, and three RBIs in this one to kind of lead the Orioles. He got things kick pretty quickly in this game with a two-run double off the starter Chris Bassett in the first inning to immediately put the Orioles up to nothing. In a huge divisional game, hit that ball 104 off the bat. Then he had a big sack fly in the third, kind of looped a ball out there to make it 3-0. He did fly out in the fifth, but hit it 90 miles per hour off the bat before doubling off the wall in right field in the eighth to finish off his day. And it was just another great day from Ryan Mountcastle, who has just dominated, dominated the Blue Jays in his career. He is now in 46 career games against Toronto, hitting 313 with 15 homers, 10 doubles, and a 625 slugging percentage for Ryan Mountcastle. Well over a 1000 OPS, a 625 slug for Mountcastle. It is so nice for the Orioles throughout this rebuild and even throughout the years where they were good. There's always these Oriole killers, right? They still exist today, even when the O's are good, but they would just mash the O's. I mean, the biggest example is Glaber Torres and what he did to the Orioles with the Yankees in 2019, but it's nice to have the O's have a player who does that to another divisional opponent. Adley Rutschman does it to the Yankees, and on an even bigger scale, Ryan Mountcastle does it to the Blue Jays. He's just dominating these guys. And listen, he is hitting the ball better. I mean, we know he's been good against lefties all year. Came in hitting 319 with a 10 15 OPS against lefties this year. That's really good. But he was facing all righties in Monday night's game and was still hitting the ball. And quite frankly, whether it's been righties or lefties, since Mountcastle returned from the injured list after that kind of month long bout with Vertigo, came back the game before the All Star break, came out off the bench, pinch hit RBI single, and that kind of has kickstarted him. Since returning, From the IL, with all that vertigo, that, listen, I am someone who has experienced vertigo lately. I'm basically the same age as Ryan Mountcastle. It can knock you out, especially if you've got to try to see a tiny white baseball and hit it a long way. You could tell he was struggling with it. But since coming back, it seems like he's healthy again. Ryan Mountcastle since returning. 324 average, 375 on base, 568 slugging. That's a 943 OPS in that time. Since he returned with two home runs and five doubles in that stretch. It's been really good stuff from Ryan Mountcastle. And he's kind of now playing every day, right? Because with Cedric Mullins out and Aaron Hicks out, and we think Hicks will probably be back before Mullins. But otherwise, we don't really have a true timeline on either of these guys right now. And because of that, you've got Mountcastle playing every single day because you're essentially playing O'Hearn almost every day. You might sit him against a lefty, but you're going to play Mountcastle at first against a lefty. And against a righty right now, O'Hearn's playing first, and Mounty's DHing because, you know, are struggling, Hayes struggling at the plate. You don't have, like, all these other options. You're trying to get in there with Hicks and Mullins on the IL. So it's Mountcastle's job in there. And listen, even throughout the season, even when he was struggling, he was still hitting the ball hard. He still has overall a top 20 barrel rate in all of baseball, and that includes the entire year, not just since he came back off the injured list. But this is huge for the Orioles because quietly the offense is in a little bit of a rut right now. Like Santander has been better the last couple of games, but he was struggling a bit. Gunnar and Adley have kind of been carrying the team. Like Hayes has been awful since the All-Star break, right? I mean, you've got Kowser really struggling. He's barely hitting 100 at the moment. He had a really tough looking 0 for 4 day with three strikeouts and a little dribbler back to the pitcher on Monday. He's going to get better, but it's tough to play him every day at this point. I don't know if you want to play McKenna. You're not getting a lot offensively from some guys. Mountcastle stepping up right now has been huge for this Orioles offense. And, you know, I don't know what the future is going to bring for him when they get Hicks back, when they get Mullins back. It's going to be tough to get him in there every single day. But if he's Got a 943 OPS still when those two guys come back. He's going to maintain a role where he's in there. And you got to get O'Hearn in there. And you got to get Santander in there. I get it. It's tough to get all three of those guys in there because none of them are particularly great defenders. And they're stuck in right field or first base or DH. I get it. It's tough to get them all in when you have other hitters. But they may just force their way into lineup every single day if Mountcastle keeps hitting like this. This is the Ryan Mountcastle we've seen a lot in the past. If he keeps it up through the rest of the year, that is going to be gigantic for this Orioles team. But as Mountcastle tries to, you know, get the bats going a little bit, we all know the Orioles need at least one more arm. Probably another bullpen arm and definitely another starting pitcher. So maybe at least two more arms. Maybe three. Who knows? Go for it, O's. So coming up next get you the latest trade deadline update it is deadline day who's still out there who's been dealt and what can and should the orioles do before today's 6 p.m deadline so the mlb trade deadline will hit us at 6 p.m eastern time today hopefully O's add some pitchers, which we'll get to but shortly after that, the Orioles will take on the Blue Jays once again. Game 2 of a four-game set is coming up tonight at 7:07 p.m. Eastern Time, and Kyle Bradish will take the hill for the Orioles. Bradish was a little shaky in his last start against the Phillies, but before that he had just been dominant this year, and so the hope is he can continue to do what he had been doing all season. Bradish has faced Toronto once before this year. It was back on June 14th in Baltimore. He was awesome in that one. It was kind of a weird start because he didn't strike out anybody. Only 1K, but seven innings of one-run ball. Give me that every single time from Kyle Bradish. And on the flip side, the Blue Jays are getting some reinforcements. Hun Jin Ryu, the 36-year-old left-hander coming off Tommy John surgery, is going to return to the Blue Jays starting rotation for the first time since early May of 2022. He made six starts last year before going down and getting the TJ. Ryu is back for the Toronto Blue Jays, a veteran lefty who's had a really good career, a career 3.27 ERA in just about a 1,000 career innings in the big leagues with a couple of different teams. We'll see what he's got in the tank against the Orioles on Tuesday night. But you can catch every single pitch of the Orioles' hometown radio broadcast of Game 2 between the O's and the J's with the SXM app through SiriusXM. Just download the app and search Orioles. But before the O's get to Game 2 of the series, this roster could and hopefully will look a little bit different because by the time the Orioles have their first pitch of their next baseball game, the trade deadline will have passed. It's 6 p.m. Eastern time today. Tuesday, August 1st is the trade deadline. And the Orioles... Since kind of jumping the gun early a couple weeks ago and acquiring the right-handed reliever Shintaro Fujinami from the Oakland Athletics for left-handed pitching prospect Easton Lucas, and Fujinami's been a really good addition to this pen. They haven't done anything since. And as the bullpen continues to struggle a bit, Danny Coulomb having a little bit of issues, Yenye Kano having some big issues for the Orioles. Brian Baker's kind of been a disaster. You know, Mike Bauman's been okay, but like what are you getting out of CNL Perez? You just don't know what you're getting out of the bullpen right now. So they probably need a reliever. You felt like they already might have needed a starter. And then Tyler Wells was so bad and looking so tired, you sent him down to double A on Sunday. And although you have Cole Irvin to theoretically fill in in that number five starter role, who do you have behind him? If anything else happens, if anybody else gets tired, if anybody else gets fatigued or a little injury or has to go on the IL, your next starter options, if you just add Cole Irvin, They are as follows. Drew Rahm, Bruce Zimmerman, and Austin Voth. I'm not feeling great about any of those guys, at least in their current states, to help out the Orioles making a division title run and a playoff push. So as I said on Monday's episode, it would basically be malpractice at this point if the Orioles didn't bring in a starting pitcher. At the very least, it's got to be like an innings-eating guy. At the very, very least... You need to bring in a number five starter who maybe isn't amazing but will be cheap on the trade deadline, probably a rental, and you know can go out there and pitch every fifth day just to help you get to the postseason. Doesn't have to be a guy who helps you in the postseason. Could be a guy who's not even on the playoff roster but helps you get to the postseason by pitching every fifth day. So a guy like Rich Hill a guy like Jordan Lyles, a guy like Zach Greinke. I mean, yeah, these aren't great options, but like at the very least, you got to do that. Now, the hopes should be a little bit higher and they are for me and they should be for you as well. Now, what has happened since we last talked? Because since I last chatted with you on Monday morning, some more deals have gone down on some pitchers that I thought the Orioles should have at least been somewhat targeting. Aaron Savali has been the big one so far. Two and a half years of control, has had a great year with the Guardians since returning from injury. He goes to the Rays, a division rival for Kyle Manzardo, a top 50 prospect in baseball. Basically, the ask for the Guardians most likely would have been Heston Kerstad for Savali straight up. Don't think the O's would have done that. That's why they didn't get him. Paul Seawall, lockdown reliever, closer for the Mariners, goes to the Diamondbacks for three prospects. Honestly, in a deal that was surprisingly light. And the Orioles could have easily matched it. I kind of matched it up with the Orioles giving up Ramon Arias, Kyle Stowers, and Cesar Prieto for a year and a half of Paul Seawald. I would have done that in a second. So maybe the O's didn't value Seawald as much, but that seemed like kind of cheap to get a reliever with a little bit of control. Reds got the lefty Sam Mull from the Athletics for one prospect. It was a guy kind of similar to like a Trace Bright Alex Pham type, like... High strikeouts, maybe a little walk issue, but good stuff in double-A. And then the Cubs got my guy, Marilyn Terrapin, Jose Quas, the submarine reliever from the Royals for Nelson Velasquez. There's not a great Nelson Velasquez comp on the Orioles, but basically he's been up and down between triple-A and the majors this year, but every time he's been in the majors, he's hit really well. The Cubs just don't really have a spot for him, so there's not an amazing comp on the Orioles for that, but... It took one player who's not exactly in the Cubs' everyday plans to get Jose Quas, who's controllable for, I think, you know three-plus more seasons, and you get a nice piece in your bullpen. So the O's don't go there. So the next big name out there is Justin Verlander. Now, I know that John Morosi you know, tweeted out, hey, the Orioles could be in on Verlander. They have the prospects. Of course they do, and of course they could be in on him, and of course they have the prospects to get him. They're not trading for Verlander. That was not a report. The money that the Mets will want the O's to take on would be too much for John Angelos and his cheap pockets. And if the Mets did take all of Verlander's money, they would want prospects, they would basically want to buy prospects that the Orioles just would not want to give up. Guys like Kerstad, Westberg, Kauser, and those kind of guys. Now, down from that level, there are some guys who have, on Monday, been connected to the Orioles from multiple people who cover the game. Michael Lorenzen of the Tigers, Eduardo Rodriguez of the Tigers, and, as I mentioned before, Rich Hill of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, Lorenzen's been interesting because the Orioles, with Michael Ayes, play it really close to the vest. They do not let a lot leak out of that front office. That's why you don't see a lot of trade rumors involving the Orioles. Like, they're certainly talking to a lot of different teams But they don't let anything out of their house there. But it is interesting that Michael Lorenzen has come up multiple different times in these trade rumors, right? Makes you think he could be the guy. And I, on my trade deadline preview show on Friday, made the prediction that the Orioles would acquire Michael Lorenzen. I said it would be Lorenzen and Cisnero for Taron Vavra and Kyle Stowers. Knowing what pitchers are going for right now, it's going to cost more than that. But still, I think a deal that the Orioles should do. And Eduardo Rodriguez is an interesting guy. He's got an opt-out, so he's probably a rental. So both guys are a rental. But at this point, I mean, yeah, the asking price is high. But the Orioles may have to reach here. Everything I've been hearing from people in the game, you know, that know some things about the trade goings on of the Orioles have said the asking prices are high from other teams. They know the O's have great prospects, and they want those great prospects for these rental pitchers. Mike Elias said in his press conference on Friday he would be willing to reach in a trade to get a pitcher. It seems like from what I've been hearing, he's going to have to reach to get that pitcher. Like the proposed offers maybe for Lorenzen is much more value than the proposed for me Stowers and Vavra. Like it's gonna take a much more legit prospect it seems to get a guy like Lorenzen or get a guy like Eduardo Rodriguez. So if they're scared of that, they could just go the Rich Hill Jordan Lyles route and I guess that's better than nothing But go get a pitcher who's going to help you now, maybe can help you in the postseason as well, going to help you get to the postseason at least, and pony up. There's only four infield spots. You can't play all 10 elite infielders you have in the system. You just can't. There's no way to do it. Get some value out of these guys. Go get somebody who's going to help you win. Because the Orioles can win a World Series this year. They absolutely can win a World Series this year. So go do it. Now, should let you know, I'm recording here right about 1045 Eastern time. On Monday night. So if any Orioles trade breaks between then and my next episode on Wednesday morning, just know that I saw it. Check out at Orioles on Twitter for a quick video reaction. But know that it will be covered on Wednesday's episode as we fully cover the trade deadline. But it should be a starter. It should be a reliever too. Like there's some under-the-radar names. You know, Carlos Hernandez I love. Keenan Middleton's had a great year with the White Sox. Two guys from the Rockies who have been really good and have, you know, some good underlying numbers, good stuff. Brent Suter, who's a rental, but then Justin Lawrence, who's got a wicked fastball sidearm. He's got some team control. Like, those are some arms they should be going after. If I'm the Orioles, I'm trying to get a starter and a reliever, and heck, maybe even an outfielder. Because with Kowser struggling, Hayes struggling, you don't really want to play McKenna every day. Maybe go get an outfielder that you can just kind of backfill, right, on the roster. Get a guy like Ramon Laureano from the A's. I said Randall Gritchick last week. He was dealt to the Angels. A.J. Pollock and Mark Cano were two other options. They were both traded on Monday. So maybe Laureano, yeah, he has been great with the bat, but he's a good defender. You know he can play center field, and he can at least raise the ceiling of the Orioles outfield until you get Hicks and Mullins back. And then when you get Hicks and Mullins back healthy, you can even DFA the guy because it's going to be an outfielder that I think wouldn't cost much at all prospect-wise just to help out your offense a little bit right now. But that would be third on the list behind starting pitcher and one, maybe even two relievers, honestly, if you want to get better. Because again, it's crazy to think about it. You know, it's hard to accept, but this Orioles team can win the World Series in 2023, but they got to get there. And the upgrades they make potentially today can help them get there. But they got to do something because if they don't bring in another arm at the deadline, as I've said, it would be absolute malpractice And essentially hindering your own team by this front office if they don't at least add one arm right now. They desperately need one in the rotation, in the bullpen. They've got a team that can win it. You don't have to trade away the entire farm, all right? You have a lot of great prospects. You're going to keep filling in with more and more great prospects. I trust Elias and Co. to do that. That means you can trade away some of these guys. That means you can reach a little bit to get a good player, to help you win right now. Because I know the thought is the Orioles' window is going to be open for 10, 15-plus years with all these guys. But you just don't know. Players get injured. Things change. Development stops. Things just happen in Major League Baseball. You can't count a window being open for crazy long. So when you're in first place, in maybe the toughest division ever in the 2023 AL East, it's time to go for it. And you don't have to mortgage Jackson Holliday, Heston Kerstad, and Kobe Mayo but you got other players that you can trade away to get good players who will help your major league roster because this team can win a world series. So Mike Elias, Sigma Dell, Eve Rosenbaum, the entire front office. If you're listening, you're probably not. But if you are, you don't have to go crazy, but make this team better today. Please. We as Orioles fans are asking you make this team better. It'll pay off in the long run because this team, they can a team that's having a parade down Utah Street in early November. But that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, if the Orioles make some trades at today's deadline, check out at Orioles on Twitter. I'll be giving some live video reactions to any deadline moves or lack of moves that the Orioles would make, and then I'll break them down in full, including also recapping the Orioles game two against the Blue Jays coming up on tomorrow's episode. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.